All right. Well, today we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through verse uh, 18. Now, I usually don't do the uh, Gospel according to Matthew teachings in this format because we have a home fellowship and uh, we record during the home fellowship. But unfortunately, uh, due to my stupidity, I didn't turn the mic on, lapel mic on. So I have video footage of the whole teaching. First time I taught it through a couple weeks ago, uh, but there's no audio. So that's why I'm doing it over again here. I think it's a very important message for those who are listening at home, watching at home, going through the whole series. I don't want you to be able to, I don't want you to miss anything. So I'm doing it again here. So we're going through, it's not going to be any review on this on this video, but you can review for yourself if you're following through the series uh, at home. So we're going to, it's going to be about prayer and fasting today. So let's, let's read through the text, starting in verse 5, excuse my nose, and going through uh, verse 18. <clears throat> and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, for they sag countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. They do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Okay, let's, let's talk about, before we get into the text here, back into the text, what prayer is. Prayer is... A relationship with God. It's, it's communion with the God of the universe, talking to Him, uh, having a relationship with Him. Um, I liken it to a husband and wife relationship. If I were to tell my friends and family that I love my wife every day and, and I told them to us blue in the face, uh, so to speak, that I love my wife but I never talked to her, never spent time with her face to face, uh, could I really say that I loved her? No, I don't think I could. Um, or take uh, parents and children relationships. Uh, children, oftentimes, they, they feel loved by quality time spent with them. Uh, and if I told my children I loved them, uh, or wrote them notes that I loved them, and, and never spent time with them, um, never talked to them, never let them talk to me, then can I really say that I loved them? No, I don't think so. Uh, it's like a relationship with a best friend, a friend and a best friend. If I call someone my best friend, but I never call them on the phone, never email them, uh, never spend time with them in person. Could I really say they're my best friend? No, I don't think I could. So when it comes to God, prayer is a relationship with God. And not only is it speaking to God, but it's hearing from God. You know, like the, like the old uh, uh, proverb, you have, this is a biblical proverb, but it's a proverb that's out there that you have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So you can listen twice as much as you talk. And I think that's a great rule when it comes to prayer 
that you should listen to God more than you talk to God, because God may have something to say to you. Um, prayer is not necessarily coming to God with a laundry list of things and saying, God, here's what I need from you today. Uh, this is what I want from you, as if God is some you know, big Walmart in the sky that you go there and get whatever you need, and you go to check out, and you're done with them for the day. Or like he's some you know big Santa Claus in the sky that you come to him with your, your Christmas list, and this is what I want this year, Santa Claus, and, and then you, you don't write to him again for the rest of the year. So it's, it's not like that with God. People oftentimes treat prayer in that, uh, in that way. Uh, so it's not bringing a laundry list to God. It's also not telling God what to do. Uh, God doesn't need to be told what to do. Uh, God, God is the ruler of the universe. He's infinite in wisdom, infinite in power, um, infinite in knowledge. In fact, the, the text we just went through, he says that he knows what you need before you even ask for it. So uh, God doesn't mean to be told to do it. You're not informing him of anything. Uh, he doesn't need to be taught anything. He doesn't need any new information from you. Uh, he knows these things before you ask for, ask for them. So uh, that's what kind of what prayer is and what it isn't. When should you pray? Well, the Bible says pray without ceasing. You see scriptures like, uh, Colossians 4.2, Ephesians 6.18, Romans 12.12, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We'll go through the list one more time. I'm not going to actually read these prayers, these uh, scriptures, but Colossians 4.2, Ephesians 6.18, Romans 12.12, 12, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. So we're going to pray without ceasing. But what does that mean to pray without ceasing? Does it mean that you're, you're always in your prayer closet as a passage we just read through talks about? And you're always on bending knee with your hands folded and your eyes closed. Is that what it means to pray without ceasing? No, if that's what pray without ceasing means, then Jesus didn't pray without ceasing. Because Jesus wasn't always by himself praying to the Father. Uh, there was a time he set aside every day to speak to the Father. But I think pray without ceasing means you're in, you're in a constant communion with God. You can, you can say a prayer with your eyes open uh, in your mind without saying any words with your lips or your voice box. And, that can be prayer. It's, a, it's staying in a spirit of prayer. It's, it's relying upon God and depending upon God moment by moment, minute by minute, every day. And, um, and allowing yourself to hear God's still small voice at all times. So it's, it's just staying in, in relationship with God at all times. It doesn't mean necessarily, you know, with your hands folded and your, and your eyes closed at all times praying for people. That's not what prayer without ceasing means. That's what it means. And it's a sin not to pray without ceasing. Then Jesus sinned. And we know that's not true. So um, we had to pray without ceasing. And I would say that, that, that prayer is the, the breath of our spiritual life. Uh, and if you cease to pray, you don't make a discipline of praying, uh, spending time with God in that manner, uh, then you're, you're suffocating yourself spiritually. And I would even say this, that when a Christian, if a Christian sins, it's a, it's the, it's a symptom of a bigger problem. They're not close enough in relationship to God. Because I, I found in my past, as I've become a Christian, that <clears throat> times when I've, I've backslid or I've sinned, it's always due to the fact that I, I wasn't spending enough time with God. I wasn't getting alone in my prayer closet. I, I got too busy about life and, and put that aside for a day or two. And, 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 that's, and that's what the problem is. That's why people sin, because they're not abiding in Him. They're not remaining in Him. If they abide in Him, remain in Him, the Bible says you will not sin. If you abide in Him, you'll produce much fruit. But if you don't abide in Him, you're like a branch that withers away. And if you continue to do that, you'll be broken off and cast into the fire, as John 15 says. So um, prayer is the breath of our spiritual life. Uh, a friend of mine once said this in relation to evangelism, that if you uh, pray about the lost without evangelizing the lost, you're a hypocrite. But if you evangelize the lost without praying for the lost, you're a lunatic. And I, can, I completely agree with that. So uh, 
evangelizing without praying, you're a lunatic. If you pray without evangelizing, you're a hypocrite. Because you're not doing, you're, you're trying to put the burden upon God when God tells you to go preach the gospel. You witness to the lost. Um, so, uh, it can be done, prayer can be done anytime, anywhere, and for anyone. And there's also a principle in the scripture that if you don't ask, you will not receive. So, <clears throat> sometimes we get to thinking that something's trivial to God, and we might get that mindset. But, you know, God wants to hear. It's not that uh, he uh, needs you to say something for him to release something to you. Is that he wants you to come to him and, re and show your dependence upon him, your complete reliance upon him. And when you do that, sometimes he blesses you. So, so if you don't ask for things, that may be the very reason why you're not receiving those things. Okay, so that's what, that's what prayer is, what it isn't, how often we should pray, and uh, just some little uh, cliches that you can help remember that I think are good principles for, for praying. Okay, so let's go to verse 5. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites. Now, the hypocrites were the pretenders. Uh, so the Greek word means here is it was used for the those who are actors and actresses in a place. So they're playing a part that they really aren't. So the hypocrites, they love to pray, but not just love to pray for any, any manner. They love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. This is why. See, now standing in the synagogues, or in you know, a modern-day local church maybe, or standing in the corners and praying is not necessarily sinful. The sinful part is what it says next, that they may be seen by men. See, their heart was... They wanted to be seen by men. And because they wanted to be seen by men, their praying was worthless to God. In fact, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. Their reward was men seeing them. That's what they were doing it for anyway. And they got the praise of men in return. And that's what happened. Okay, so, but verse 6 tells us how we should pray. It says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, the Bible is not against praying in public. I don't want you to think that. Even though it does say here, when you pray, pray, go into your room. And the word for room there uh, means inner room, storeroom, secret room, den. It's a room where you kept your valuables. So, the room in the interior of your house uh, where there's probably nothing else, no distractions, uh, from the world around you. And that's what I think this is what Jesus is trying to get across to here is that when you when you want to pray to your father, get alone with him. Be in secret. You know, when I want to spend time with my wife, I go be alone with her. I want to spend time with my children. Sometimes one on one with one of my four children or my fifth one that's coming along, I will take them with me somewhere. I'll be alone with them while maybe my, my, my daughter's taking a nap. I'll spend some time with my son Malachi. It's private time with them. No distractions from anything else. So that's what God wants me. He wants no distractions. He wants you to focus upon Him and to hear from Him and to, to pour out your heart to Him. And when you go into the inner room and you pray or the secret room, uh, that room where your, your treasures are kept, and which makes a lot of sense because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure is in your, if, if your, your time with God is spent in this treasure room, that's where your heart is. That's where your, your heart is with God and alone with Him and secret with Him. And that's where our heart should be at all times. Close the door. Shut the door. Shut out all the distractions of the world. You know, we all need to have this place. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a closet or inner room. Um, but we need to have a place where we can spend alone with God. Where we have no distractions. For me, as a father with four young children and a pregnant wife, my, my time with God is at nighttime when everyone else is sleeping. That's the only time in my household uh, that it's quiet. So I stay up late a lot of times to, to pray to God, uh, to worship God in song, to read and study the Bible. 
that is my alone time with God. Now, when I was single and didn't have any, a wife or children, I can get alone with God anytime I want. I can go in my bedroom and be fine. Uh, but that's, I don't have that convenience anymore. So that's my time. But if you're struggling with finding a alone time with God, pray to Him. Ask Him to help you because He will help you find a place. It, it, it may be a closet. It would be the best place. You know, if you have a uh, semi-walk-in closet, clear out the floor uh, and just get in there, get a flashlight and get along with God and you can read, your, read, read the Bible or you don't even want to read the Bible, you just want to get along with God and pray. Go in there and shut the door, don't take a flashlight, have complete darkness and just pray to God. And shut yourself out from distractions like computers and TVs and, and games and people, uh, whatever, or phones, whatever your gadgets or technology, whatever your distractions may be, shut yourself out from those things and get along with God. As much as you're able to. And if, and if you are having a hard time finding this alone time or this place, then ask God to help you. He will because he wants you to spend this time with him. So he wants you to shut the door behind you, shut out all the distractions, and get alone with him. And pray to your father who is in the secret place. So we have the father. You're supposed to go to this secret place, this inner room, and there your father meets you. Now it says pray to your father, which is very important because oftentimes when I've been to church in the past, last 13 years or so I've been a Christian, um, I found that a lot of preachers, when they're praying, they're still preaching. Uh, they're not really speaking to God. They're speaking to men as if, but they're acting as if they're speaking to God, but they're actually speaking to men. And when we pray, we're going to speak to God. That's what, that's what prayer is. It's, it's praying to your Father. It's not, praying, it's not preaching to men, having your eyes closed as if you're praying to God. So when we're praying to God, we're supposed to be speaking to Him, talking to Him. And for some of you who have done this preaching, praying for so long, it may be hard for you to adjust and change that, but you need to be aware of it, be conscious of it, and make a conscious change in that because you're supposed to be praying to your Father who's in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So we don't pray to the Father so we can get rewarded. But the fact is, and the Scripture says, that when you do pray to the Father in secret, shut the door behind you, and you're praying to Him, not to men, not to be seen by them, but be seen by Him, then He will reward you openly. It can be rewarding with material things, spiritual things, uh, blessing with a peace of past understanding, blessing with joy in the midst of affliction, just giving you the spiritual power to overcome sin. These are things that God can bless you with as you seek Him in the secret place. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Now what are vain repetitions? Vain repetitions are, are words that uh, you repeat that have no meaning, or um, maybe they're not prayed sincerely, so they have no meaning to God. Or maybe you're just praying this this prayer that you've, maybe you mean it with all your heart, but it's it's a prayer that God's not going to answer. Uh, one example of that would be the Muslims. They, they pray five times a day, or the prayer of a Mormon, or the prayer of a, um, you know, a Hindu or a Buddhist. They, they may be sincere in their prayers. Uh, and they might not even be repeating it over and same thing over and over again, but it's vain to God because they're not praying to Him. Uh, they're praying to, as Paul says, they're praying to demons. Uh, that's what idols are. They're not, they're not just dumb pieces of wood, or they're actually demons that these people are praying to. So in that sense, it can be vain. Vain repetitions can be someone saying something like this prayer we're about to read here in a minute. Now, we've already read. It's called usually called the Lord's Prayer. I would call it the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer that, that Jesus is teaching to the disciples, uh, when people pray this prayer a lot of times, like in the Roman Catholic Church, they'll say this thing, or in the Protestant Church sometimes, they'll say this, this, uh, these verses from 9 through 13 over and over again, but they don't really mean anything behind it. Their heart, their sincerity is not behind it, and therefore it is vain, 
and it's repetition because they're saying it over and over again in God's eyes, or saying the rosary. That'd be vain repetition as well because God does not, uh, is not blessed. He does not ordain something like that. He does not want you to do that. Uh, and also another vain repetition could be uh, this uh, tongue-speaking movement where they're babbling tongues. Um, you know, I don't know what your, what your position is on that, but uh, my position is that tongues should be a known language somewhere in the world. So if someone's babbling out things uh, that have no meaning anymore in the world, including to themselves or to God, then that is vain repetition. Now, they may mean this sincerely. I know lots of brothers and sisters in Christ, so I, I wouldn't condemn them or anything like that, who believe in this babbling, speaking in tongues, that it's not a known language some in the world they're speaking, um, and that uh, uh, they mean it with all their hearts when they're doing it. They're pouring out their hearts to God. And I think God receives their hearts, but what they're saying is vain repetitions because the words have no meaning. They're just repeating the same thing over and over again. And, uh, you know, People have to be judged with by their heart with the situation, uh, but that's another thing that could be uh, could fall into the vain repetition category here as well. So say, saying the same words over and over again, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now their many words here could mean wordiness, uh, having uh, really long words, uh, really eloquent words, which is eloquence is not needed when it comes to praying. Uh, God is looking at your heart, not the exact words you're saying. So he's not looking for eloquence, he's looking for a heart that's set on him, that's pouring its heart out to him, and is able to receive from the Spirit of God and wants to do what God wants him to do. So many words can be wordiness, uh, you know, being eloquent or trying to sound good in the eyes of men, or it could also mean long-windedness, someone who wants to pray for a long time. That brings, up a, a, that brings up a very important principle here. Praying for a long time does not necessarily mean you're more of a prayer warrior or you're more spiritual than someone who prays for less time. Because God is not looking just for quantity here. In fact, the Bible never says uh, quantitatively how long you should pray each day. Uh, so it always kind of, it's kind of humorous to me when someone says, well, I should be praying four hours a day. And if I'm not, then I'm sinning. Well, if God told you that, that's fine. But you can't put that, that standard upon someone because the Bible never says that. And we already talked about what prayer without ceasing is. That doesn't mean you're in your prayer closet at all times. Because then you'd be disobeying commands like go and preach the gospel. You'd be disobeying commands like go and get a job and work and supporting your family, spending time with your wife and children. You'd be neglecting those things as well. So this is what we're seeing here in Matthew 6, 5 through 19, uh, is something, uh, 5 through 18, I'm sorry, is something completely different than the prayer without ceasing prayer. But so the quantitative is not as, doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're doing what God wants you to do. Uh, it all depends on how much time you have. Now, when I was single, I had a lot more time to pray. I had, uh, you know, three hours or so a day, or maybe less than that, or maybe more than that to pray. And uh, now I don't have as much time to pray. Now, I could lose sleep and get up really early and only get four hours of sleep a day and, and, and pray more, but I don't, I don't think God wants me to do that. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the rest my body needs, and, and when I feel lead, led to do those things, I will do it. Um, but God is look, what I'm trying to say here is God is looking for quality over quantity. And someone who prays for an hour a day or a half an hour a day uh, could be closer to God because of their quality of their prayer time than someone who prays for three or four hours a day. So quantity doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it right. That's what I'm trying to say here. So wordiness or being long-winded about your prayers does not mean you're doing it right. Uh, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Okay, so... You're not, like I said before, you're not informing God of anything when you're when you're praying to Him. 
He knows what you have need of before you ask him. He doesn't need to be informed by you, instructed by you, or told what to do by you. And we need to really get a grip on that. I think a lot of people, when they're praying, they think it's as if they're telling God to do, or, or they think they can tell him what to do, or that he, they're informing him of something new that he didn't know of, um, which is, it can't happen. God's all-knowing. Okay, so let's, verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray. Now, what does it say? Does it say, pray this prayer after me? Does it say, pray exactly this way? It says, in this manner, therefore pray. And, and manner means, in this, um, it's almost like, not, it's not a formula, but it gives you principles on what to pray for uh, when you're praying to the Father. So let's, let's kind of break it down here. We're going to call it the disciples' prayer, not the Lord's prayer. And they're going to see kind of what it says here. Now, it says in, in the first couple of lines, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it starts out with thanksgiving. starts out with worship, with reverence, uh, which puts God in his place in our minds and hearts and puts us in our place uh, in our hearts and minds when we're praying to God. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, we're on earth. So it puts us in our place. So we start out with thanksgiving and worship and reverence. I would encourage you, to, if you have a prayer list at home, to make a Thanksgiving list. And I would encourage you to have your Thanksgiving list longer than your prayer list, which will help you keep your mindset proper. Uh, that you're not just bringing a laundry list to God, but you're, you're giving thanks to God, too. And we have many things to give thanks for. Um, and then in verse 10 it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a submission there to God's will. God, I want your will be to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, which means that God's will is not always done, which goes against Calvinism, but I digress. That's something completely different for a different time. Uh, but submission to God's will. God, I want your will be done, whatever it may be. I'm willing to walk in it, no matter what the cost to me. So submission there. So there's prayer, worship, uh, thanksgiving, worship, reverence, submission to God's will. And then in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And our daily bread. So you're praying not only for your needs, but for the needs of others. Uh, and, and this is important, and it says daily bread, which means you're, you're showing your reliance upon God even for the bread, the food you eat every single day. And, uh, you know, in our house, we make a, make a discipline of praying before each and every meal to show our heart towards God and be thankful for what he's provided for our family. So you're praying for others' needs. <clears throat> it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And uh, notice this here, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So there's a... There's a presupposing here that for us to come to God and ask Him for forgiveness, we've already forgiven those who sinned against us. Now, I want to point out one thing here with verse 12. There's some Calvinists out there that would have you believe that because it says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, and it's a daily thing, and you're, and you're going to pray this every day, even though it's not a formula prayer to pray, uh, that that also means that verse 12 should be daily, that you have to sin every day. And this proves, because verse 11 says daily bread, that we have to ask for forgiveness every day. Well, that's nonsense. It doesn't say that. They're imposing that upon it. Um, that would also have to assume that we get sinned against every day. But I know there hasn't. there's been many days that I haven't been sinned against. So that defeats it already as it is. And personally, I know there's been many days that I have not sinned. So uh, whether the Calvinists believe me or not, uh, so that that doesn't prove anything from my uh, in my perspective. So we're we're forgiving people, and one of the conditions of being forgiven ourselves, as we'll see in verses fourteen and fifteen, is that we've forgiven other people of their sins against us. Verse thirteen: Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
And so that, that's, that's admitting uh, that we need help with temptation. And we know 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a, a great verse there. Um, you know, no temptation is seized except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. And when you're tempted, God will provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So we're acknowledging our reliance upon God, our dependence upon God when it comes to temptation, that he's going to provide the way out, that he's not allowing us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. So there's a reliance upon that, James 4, 7. You know, most people know the second part of James 4, 7, which says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But the first part says, submit to God, and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you try to resist the devil in your own strength, in the flesh, you're going to fail almost every time. But you submit yourself to God and say, God, I need your help. I need your help right now, Lord. Temptation is coming. It's come. I need your help to overcome it. And then you resist the devil and the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, Galatians 5.16. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there's a reliance upon God here uh, when it comes to temptation. So so far we have uh, starting the prayer at Thanksgiving, worshiping reverence, uh, submitting to God's will, whatever that may be, praying for our needs and the needs of others, uh, asking for forgiveness of sins if needed, and forgiving other people if needed, and realizing that we have to forgive others before we can be forgiven, uh, and then realizing our need uh, when it comes to temptation to, to have help to overcome temptation. And then uh, at the end of verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it's another uh, act of humility. So we start out with humility. Amen with humility. We start out with worship and end in worship uh, when it comes to this uh, this prayer that Jesus shows. So th these are some components that should be in almost every time you speak to God. These components should be there of reverence, worship, thanksgiving, uh, other people's needs, submission to God's will, whatever it may be, um, help with temptation and asking for help to live a holy life, and then you know finishing up with a humble uh, offering up of worship and reverence to Him. And of course, like I said. Two ears, one mouth, listen twice as much as you speak. So we should be spending time in silence before God, just asking to speak to a heart and say, God, is there anything within me that you're unpleased, you're unpleased with? And just reveal it to me so I can get it out of my life. Okay, let's move on to verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, there's three... Very important biblical principles we can find in these two verses. Number one, forgiveness is conditional. Now, Calvinists and other theological systems like antinomians, uh, usually they call themselves independent fundamental Baptists, they will say that if you say that you have to do something to get forgiveness, then that's work salvation. Calvinists will say the same thing. But this says, if you don't forgive your brother his trespass against you, God will not forgive you of your trespass against him. So there's a condition there. That if you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. If you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. Uh, so that's the first principle. Forgiveness is conditional. Uh, number two, you can lose forgiveness. So it's G Jesus is talking here to disciples. And obviously they already were forgiven. And he's telling them in the future that if they don't forgive their brothers, God won't forgive them. So they can lose forgiveness, which means they can lose their salvation. If you want more on that, look at the parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew chapter 18. And you'll see how this, this unmerciful servant was forgiven a very large debt by the king. But then when his fellow servant had a very small debt to owe him, he didn't, he didn't forgive him his debt. The king 
reinst reinstalled the, the huge debt that Unmerciful Servant had and put him back in jail to get paid the last penny. And it says right in it, Such will my father do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart of his trespasses against you. So we have the second principle of you can lose your forgiveness. Number three, future sins are not forgiven ahead of time. They're not forgiven ahead of time. If they were, Jesus couldn't say this. He couldn't say that your, that your unforgiveness towards your brother would cause you to not have forgiveness from God in the future. So those are the three principles here. Uh, forgiveness is conditional, which is not work salvation. Two, you can lose forgiveness. And three, future sins are not forgiven ahead of time. Um, and then we can go to the, the very uh, Greek word for forgiveness, which is ephemi, which means to dismiss or release, uh, to release from moral obligation or consequences, to move away from or separate, to let go. So forgiveness is not um, Jesus or God taking Jesus' personal righteousness and transferring it to your account to all he sees is Jesus when he sees you. And he's kind of viewing you through, you know, blood-colored glasses, and he can't see your sins anymore as if you're fooling God, which would make God not omniscient, not all-knowing. Uh, but when, when God forgives someone, he dismisses their case, he releases them from a moral obligation or consequences, which is hell, uh, he moves them away or separates them from their sin, and he lets them go as if they had never sinned. That's what forgiveness is from the Bible. So in some theological systems, there's no such thing as forgiveness. And if your atonement view does not comport with what forgiveness actually is from the Greek word, then you need to change your atonement view. You need to find out if your atonement view is actually biblical or not. And uh, I would assert to you that the penal substitution view of atonement, which talks about this transferring of sin and righteousness between us and Jesus and Adam, uh, is not biblical. And we can see just from this one point, forgiveness, what it is and what happens and what God requires for you to be forgiven from him, we can see that atonement view is not correct. So that's some good points there on, on forgiveness. And then we have uh, verses 16 through 18. Moreover, when you fast. Wait, did I say if or did it say when? Oh, it said when you fast. And so my first question for you, those who are listening at home, do you fast? Do you fast? Do you set aside time? Are you disciplined to, to be diligent about this time of fasting? If you're not, you're disobeying God because Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. And if you were to go to the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector when it came before God, the Pharisee, who is a hypocrite, he fasted twice a week. So uh, I'm not saying we have to fast twice a week. The Bible doesn't say how often we need to fast, but you need to be fasting. Okay? Uh, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. So, when you fast, um, the first couple days sometimes, usually your, your stomach is really, you're struggling to not give in to eat food, and you have to get along with God and pray uh, and, and, and read His Word. Uh, but you shouldn't let that be seen on your face. You shouldn't be like, oh man, I'm fasting, this, I'm so hungry, I really want to eat, but I shouldn't eat. You shouldn't be talking about that, because... You're getting your reward from men. Then. You're not getting your reward from God. Your fasting is doing you no good. You might, as well not, you might as well give it up and not even bother fasting if you're going to act like that because you're, it's not going to do you any good. You're getting your praise from men, not from God. Well, let's just talk about, before we go on with these, these, these last two verses here, uh, what are some reasons for fasting? Uh, number one, mourning and repentance. You see this all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, when the people would come back to God, they would fast. 
uh, and sackcloth and ashes uh, to show their their deep repentance uh, towards God regarding their sin. So there's a mourning repentance over sin. If you if you have some sin in your life that you're having a problem overcoming temptation when it comes, I would encourage you to fast regarding that sin and ask for strength and, and spiritual power to overcome it. Um, fasting is a sacrifice. You know, most of us have been taught, you know, since the day we were born to to eat two or three times a day at least, and uh, maybe some snacks in between. And uh, so to tell your body, no, you're not going to eat today. It's a sacrifice. It's, uh, it's, it's saying to your body, I'm going to have self-control over you. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. And as Matthew 4, 4 says, when Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, uh, when he's responding to Satan after he tells him to make a stone into bread, he says, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So my testimony when I fasted is um, the first day or so was a little tough, but after you get past that, you, you, I almost felt like God was feeding my stomach. When, when this time would come where I would, I would get hungry, I would get along with God during these meal times and pray and read the Bible, and I felt like God was feeding me. And I didn't feel hungry. And after a few days, it just, I didn't have this issue of eating or not eating, of, of having this issue with food. It was no longer a problem. It was just a matter of, God, when do you want me to stop fasting? You reveal it to me, and, and I'm going to fast for as long as you want me to. So it's a sacrifice to do that, um, to, to tell your body you're not going to eat today. You're not going to eat today. Uh, it gives you spiritual power to overcome things. And uh, you see an example of this in Matthew 17. Uh, verses 14 through 21. And uh, what we see here is Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And I think he has uh, Peter, James, and John with him. When he comes down, there's this one uh, demon-possessed boy who the other disciples could not drive the demon out of him. And Jesus said they, were, they had little faith. But then he said, this kind can only come out but by prayer and fasting. So oftentimes when there's some kind of spiritual oppression or demonic possession of somebody... That kind of thing can only be remedied, since Jesus is no longer here on earth, by us praying and fasting about the situation or about that person. And let me just give you a testimony of one time when I was fasting. This is back in um, 2000 or 2001. I can't remember exactly. End of 2000, beginning of 2001, I was praying and fasting. And I was on the fourth day. Uh, or I had completed four days. I think I was on my fifth day of fasting. And I was praying at this little little prayer chapel on the, uni- the campus of Olivet Nazarene University in, in, in uh, just south of Chicago, Illinois. And I was in there just praying to God, getting along with God. And um, I felt a release from the fast. And I was, I was thanking God for what he had done with me through the fast. And then I heard at the, at the back of this little chapel, I could probably see about 100 people maybe at the most, uh, this, someone comes in and sits at the back pew and is crying. I'm really bawling. And I could tell it was a girl, and I, I sensed the Lord telling me to go speak to her. And I just, I'm like, no, Lord, she's she's a girl. I, I, I can't go speak to her. We're alone in this place. It wouldn't look right. And the Lord rebuked me again, told me to go speak to her. So I went and spoke to her. And when I went back there, I didn't know this girl, didn't know her name. I'd never seen her before. The first thing is she cried on my shoulder for like 10, 15 minutes. And I was like, oh, wow, this is this is kind of crazy. And, and as soon as she got done crying, I said, can you, can you tell me what's going on? And, and she said, well... I, my father's a pastor of a church and I think she said Michigan or Indiana, I can't remember exactly where, but a Nazarene church. And, and she said there, there's a, a girl there who 
uh, has molested me in the past when I was part of the youth group, and she's molested several other girls, and she's now currently molesting a girl. I know she's going to continue to molest girls in this youth group if, uh, if I don't say something, but I'm so concerned that, that my, my fiance was engaged, and my fiance is going to dump me, and people are going to think I'm a lesbian, and they're going to say things about me. She's concerned what was going to happen to her if she spoke up about this. And I just really exhorted her, and, and the Lord was, I could sense the Lord was speaking through me, giving her the right words that she needed to hear. And um, I left and never saw her again. Um, never got her name, didn't want to get her name, didn't want a, a future temptation of possibly gossiping about her, or something like that, from the devil. And so I went to class, went about my classes, and I think within a couple of days, I was in one of my Bible classes, and a girl said, Listen, you don't know this girl that, but I, you, you talked to my roommate in uh, the prayer chapel the other day. I was like, oh, really? I said, well, I don't, I don't want to know her name. And, and she said, Yo, I'm not going to tell you her name, but I want to tell you what happened. She she went home and, and told her father, and the church took care of it. And she's still engaged to her, her boyfriend. He's very comfort. He's comforting her during this time, and uh, so on and so forth. So everything turned out right. And see, the beginning of my fast, uh, you know, lots of things happened during that fast, I can remember, but I never knew that this would happen. I didn't know this girl. If I wasn't fasting and praying, I would never never have met her probably. I wouldn't have been able to help her in the situation. So through my time of prayer and fasting, I believe this demonic oppression which was over this church, or this one woman who was a lesbian who was molesting people, um, that got taken care of. God used me in a way that I never thought I would have been used otherwise. So that's just my, one of my testimonies about uh, prayer and fasting. So the spiritual power available. Uh, Fasting shows your devotion to God. We already looked at Matthew 4.4. 4. Uh, it shows your devotion to God when, <clears throat> when you're telling your body, no, God's word means more to me now than my regular food. And uh, I can paraphrase something Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, uh, he said, will you push away your plate and say, no, I want more of God? Will you push away your plate and say, no, I, I want more of God? And that's really what fasting is. It's taking the, that time that you usually spent eating or drinking and going and seeking God. And you know, if, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's probably about three hours a day. Three hours a day, you'll be spending time with, in prayer with God and reading His Word. And it can really have a big-time spiritual impact in your life and to show God the devotion that you have to Him. And I tell you, you can hear God so much more clearly when you're, when you're fasting and praying. You, you sense Him. And it's, it's almost, it, to put it in a, in a picture for you, it's, when you're not praying and fasting, I would liken it to Jesus being 100 yards away and, and kind of talking in normal voice. But when you're praying and fasting, it's almost like Jesus is like with an inch of your ear whispering into your ear. And that's what it is for me, at least, when I, when I pray and fast. And I can really hear from him a lot clearer. And, of course, once again, it shows self-control of your body. You're beating your body. You're bringing it into subjection. Uh, food has no control over you. You're going to have control over your body and over the food you consume. <laughs> The question is how often. Now, once again, uh, it's your decision. You just need to do it, and you need to do it often, and you need to do it secretly, um, not for the praise of men. Now, there may be times you may have to tell people, like if you're praying and fasting and, and uh, you know, you have a wife and four children, at my, at my table when, I, when we're eating, I feed my youngest son, Elijah. He's a year and a half old, and I, I'm the person who feeds him. And uh, if I'm not going to make it to the meal, I better let my wife know. And uh, if, I, if I'm so that she can prepare to to help feed Elijah. Not only that, she's going to make more. She make less food. Uh, she may even change the whole uh, meal plan for that meal uh, because I'm not coming to it. So 
I need to let her know. And, and oftentimes, if, if I'm going to pray and fast, sometimes I will, I will fast one meal, uh, especially when she's pregnant because she needs as much help as possible. I might fast one meal but not fast the next meal you know, during a day so I can help her with, with that situation during that time. So you may have to let some people, some people know. Say you're going on an outreach to go preach and, and you're out late at night and the preachers you're with go get something to eat afterwards. You might have to let them know that, you know, I'm not eating tonight, I'm fasting. And maybe the brothers will, will have compassion on you and say, okay, if you're fasting tonight, we won't go out to eat. We'll just grab something real quick and, and head on instead of going to a restaurant. But don't use this excuse that I'm not hungry or, you know, I already ate or something like that. That's just lying. So you need to just tell them, listen, I'm, God isn't going to be displeased with you if you tell someone you're fasting. It's just what your heart is in the situation. You know, if there's someone you have to tell them, tell them. But if you don't have to tell them, then keep it to yourself. And, and make sure you look like uh, you do any other day. And uh, it says, like in verse 18, they, uh, they disfigure their faces and that they may appear to many fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in a secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So, uh, when you when you're fasting, it should be just like if you usually put gel in your hair, or uh, you know if you usually put makeup on after a woman, uh, you know you shouldn't change things because you're fasting because it makes people think there's something different going on here, and, they, and it, I mean, it's like you're trying to get their attention to show them that you that you're praying and fasting. Okay, so. Just a quick review. Uh, when it comes to praying, you shouldn't be praying to be seen by men. You should be praying to God to be seen by God. Excuse me. And you should be, you should have this secret time to be alone with God. But you should also have this spirit of prayer, this praying without ceasing spirit that you're always in communion with God, willing to hear from Him, speaking to Him. You know, these everyday things that come up. You know, something comes up in your life. In the middle of the day, you shouldn't have to wait until late at night if that's your prayer time or the next morning if that's your prayer time to pray about it. Just stop right there and pray about it. You know, even if you don't close your eyes and fold your hands, and if you don't even speak, you say you pray about it in your mind, pray about it right then. You're you're what you're doing is you're you're showing your reliance upon God during that time. So you want to get along with God, but you also want to have this prayer without ceasing time. Don't be vain or repetitious in your in your words. Do not be wordy, do not be long winded. <clears throat> you know, mean what you say. Say what you mean. Pour out your heart to God. But also listen to God. Listen to what He has to say to you. And when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, I call it the Disciples' Prayer. This is not a thing that, I mean, if you want to say the Disciples' Prayer, that's fine. There's no nothing against it, as long as you're meaning it from your heart, and you're not just repeating it over and over again, which, which is vain repetition in God's eyes, but you mean it. It's fine, but it's not what it's meant for. It says, in this manner, therefore pray. So it's giving you a guidelines on, on what should be contained in your prayer. And remember, forgiveness is conditional. You can lose forgiveness. Future sins are not forgiven ahead of time. And you should be fasting regularly. And when you fast, do not do it to be seen by men. Okay? Um, that's about it for now. Uh, hopefully this teeching was edifying to you. And uh, I'll try my best to remember not to forget to turn the lapel mic on. In fact, the, I think the teaching after this one or one after that one, a couple teaching after this one, there's there's one teaching where the lapel mic is actually broken, so I have to keep the lapel mic off and just have regular audio for the whole teaching uh, time. Uh, but I, I apologize for that, and hopefully this was edifying to you, and then you'll you'll be uh, draw closer to God in prayer, in quality and quantity, and you'll get right with God when it comes to fasting, and that you'll realize that if you want forgiveness from God, you need to forgive others. All right, God bless you.